Lord, thank You again for our time this morning. Lord, thank You uh, for what You're doing in our lives, individually and then, Lord, corporately. And thank You that uh, Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship is really part of, of the bigger church, the church of the Ojai Valley, and, then, and really, Lord, the, the church universal, comprised of all believers in Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, as we continue uh, our study and our series on, on loving the church, Lord, my prayer is that we would be able to, to understand and view and, and, and interact and really love the church biblically based on what Your Word says. I know that in this room uh, there are so many different experiences with the church, the local church, so many different attitudes, so many different emotions about this word church. And, and so, Lord, we want to we put all of that stuff aside and we want to say, Lord, through Your Holy Spirit, uh, Teach us to understand how you view the church, how you love the church. And Lord, uh, as only you can do, would you then transform us to love your church and then, Lord, to love the local church that you call us to be in covenant with. So, Lord, we open your word this morning and ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, not only would we be hearers, but doers. And again, in the doing and obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would continue to transform us from the inside out. And all God's people said, Amen. If you look at the top of your sermon notes there, and it's actually the quote that's on the front of your bulletin, it's by a guy named Joshua Harris. And he says this, Even though the church played a big part of my life, okay, life you can underline or circle, my life growing up, for many years it didn't have a big place in my heart. So two key words in that quote to kind of get us going is life and heart, life and heart. And we started last week examining our relationship with the church. And, and when we really ask ourselves, do you love the church? Do you love it? You know, and, and, and it's an interesting question because I look out here and I know many of you grew up in the church. Many of you have served the church. Many of you give to the church. The church, you know, on Sundays and Wednesdays and Bible studies throughout the valley, the church and in in, in the amount of hours you spend is a big part of your life. But it is, a, is it a big place in your heart? Do you love the church? This summer we spent weeks and weeks understanding to be in covenant with God. And then when I was away, Bill spoke about being in covenant with one another in a local church body. And as we, we transition from the summer into the fall, the Lord put it on my heart to, to have us kind of step back and, and ask ourselves, okay, do you love the church? And I'm not talking about the people next to you. I'm not even talking about Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship necessarily. But the church, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the, the called out ones, the redeemed of the Lord. Does it, does it have a big place in your life and your heart? Because, see, the, 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 two, are, the two are linked. They're, they're, you can't separate the two, right? Because Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't. He says, do you, do you love the church? Do you love the church? And in your, in your notes there, there's some, there's some things we looked at just as a quick review. Uh, some hindrances we, we talked about. Last week, hindrances are obstacles that can affect our love for the church, right? Consumerism. Some of us have developed this attitude of, of what is, what do I, what am I, what's in it for me? 
We call it church shopping. We, we hop around and we, we evaluate churches on the music, the pastor, the programs. And we kind of develop this consumer mentality. And it's more of a business transaction. It becomes more of a contract. You know, there's not a lot of love, right? You don't have to love the person you're in contract with. Just fulfill your obligations, right? And then it, So if we're, we're these consumers, we don't really engage at our heart level. It's just as long as I get what I want, I'm in. Right? So that can affect our love. Complaining or criticism, right? Over time, if you've been in church, right? I kind of joked last time, some of us think we have the spiritual gift of criticism that we need to exercise regularly, right? Right? And if we're not careful, we start to slide into this role. Rather than loving the church, we view that we're supposed to go there and just take notes on everything they're doing wrong. And then faithfully let the pastor know, <laughs> right? Right. And, and, and we have to be very careful that we don't slide into this sort of armchair quarterback. You know, if you're in football, right, if you watch a football game, they call it an armchair quarterback where you're in your comfortable living room chair and you're watching the game and the quarterback or they, they, they do something bad on the field. and You're like, oh, what were they thinking? Why didn't they just? Well, it's easy, you know, when you're in your lazy boy armchair quarterbacking, telling everyone on the field who's in the mix, trying to make split-second decisions, things going a million miles an hour, trying to tell them what they should have done, right? But if we're not careful in the church, rather than loving the church, we just feel like we've got to exercise the spiritual gift of criticism, right? So, so that can affect our love, right? Disillusionment and fear, right? Who is the church made up of? Do this and do this. Go ahead. Just do this and do this. Go ahead. Who is the church made up of? The people. What do we know about people? Flawed. What else do we know about people? Okay. Sinners saved by grace through faith. We're all in process of what? Sanctification, right? The church is made up of flawed, sinful, struggling human beings in this process called sanctification, right? Over in Wednesdays, we talked about a great illustration is a rock tumbler. Do you remember rock tumblers when you were growing up, right? The, you throw them all in there, right? And they're all jaggedy and, and rough and don't look very pretty. You throw them in with a bunch of other not-so-good-looking rocks, and you... And what happens to the rock? They smooth out, right? They get polished. So turn to the person next to you and say, Oh, you're a rock. Right? We're all in this together. And, it, and God says, here, OBCF, jump into the tumbler. And we, we rump up against each other. We step on each other's toes. Sometimes we're grumpy. Sometimes we're mean. Sometimes we say things we don't mean. Sometimes, right? We're irritable. If you're around each other long enough and the Sunday front goes away, you're like, ooh, she got an attitude, right? <laughs> right? You go to a men's retreat, and Steve won't let you alone, and you're like, wow, Wes is getting irritated. I've never seen Wes mad, right? And, and, and you get around people long enough, and, and the, 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 the church veneer comes off, and you realize, you know what? We're all in process. We're in this rock tumbler. The church is made up of people that are just imperfect, Okay? And in that, okay, in that, you can get hurt. Now, 
the imperfections of humans and even of church leadership in in doing their best to be faithful to the Lord is quite different, quite different than uh, abusive churches, churches who go off and teach false doctrine. Okay, two completely different things, right? What I'm saying is, in churchdom, just the nature of who makes up the church, we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. I remember my very first ministry opportunity in San Diego, 20 plus years ago. Uh, something happened on staff. That just blew my mind. Blew my mind. I was a young believer, just kind of on staff, and somebody came in, and, and it was such a, a kind of a worldly view, wanted my job. Like, literally, was out for my job. And was, you know, backstabbing and da-da-da-da-da, all this kind of stuff, literally politicking for my job on a church staff. And it was allowed, just for very reasons. And I was so hurt, so angry so disillusioned, right? Because this is not just church. This is church staff. This is the, you know, and if you're a believer, you kind of have these lofty views and expectations of church leadership. And I went to, uh, to my mentor, you know, a guy who, who kind of helped me grow in ministry. And I remember sharing my heart with him. And he, he said, you know, Richie, man will always fail you, but God never will. And, and, and that stuck with me, you know, 20 plus years now. Man, God will, a man will always fail you. God never will. And it helped me to, to understand and to keep in, in, in perspective my attitude towards church in general when man fails you. Right? Because, cause, you know, as humans, once you get hurt, once you get angry, once you get disillusioned, you might hear it even in our community. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. In fact, even in, in the Christian bookstores now, for some reason, you know, this wave has come through Christianity. I love Jesus, but not the church. People are selling books. You hear that? I love Jesus, but not the church. And, and part of that is this backlash, these people who have been wounded deeply and hurt and disillusioned by, by their experiences with the church people and church leadership, that they say, you know what? I don't need to be there Sunday. I don't need to connect anymore. I'm just going to watch so-and-so. I'm just going to watch so-and-so at home. I get fed. I like they have music beforehand. Right? And so we become this church, this electronic church, in a sense, where you just choose to really disobey God's word because Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us not forsake the gathering of the brethren. Right? So you just simply choose out of anger, hurt, year of getting hurt again, whatever. I don't need to be there. I don't need to be there. And, and so that can affect definitely, right? That's that's something about love, right? You're not, like, mm, right? I don't need to love the church. I'm fine. I mean, I've heard people say that. I'm fine. Okay? Next one. Individualism, right? Us doing this, the church being the gathering, corporateness, community, kind of goes against the grain of our society, which is very individualistic, Right? One of the core values of, of American society is what we call personal peace. You know what personal peace is? Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Scott, I'll let you in right about there, but this is my personal peace. This is my space. And so we have this very individualistic society where we don't want people in because these start to disrupt our peace, right? And then the challenge is when, when, when life circumstances happen, Right? And, and you need help. 
getting somewhere. You know, I had the privilege of, of, of driving my two dear friends here to, a, to an appointment, right? And suddenly life comes and, and circumstances require someone to come in farther than they've ever been. You realize, I need people. I need people in my life, you know? And so there's this individualism and then straight up rebellion, right? Some people are just have a hardened heart uh, towards a church and really towards God. Nah, I don't need it. I know what God's word says, but I still don't need it, right? And then we, we added one, and this is kind of launching us off into this week. I added one there. A reason that uh, we may not love the church is our, just our perception. And it kind of encompasses everything else. And I want to I wanted to show you a little graphic. I've showed you this before on Saturday nights when we were on Saturday nights about perception. Little little optical illusion, right? Many of you are familiar with this, right? What do you see? You see a woman. How many women do you see in that picture? You see two? How many see two? Okay, how many don't yet see two? Anyone? It's okay. Okay. How many see an old woman? Okay, here's the old woman. I'm going to show you the old woman. Here's her fairly large nose. There's her mouth. That's her chin. There you go. We have an oh, we have an oh moment. We have an oh moment. Okay. This is a feather. This is her shawl or scarf. And this is her hair. There's her eye. There's her. Okay. Who sees the old woman now? Anyone? Still don't see it. She's kind of looking that way, right? And her chin is there. And this is like a a fur. Okay, a fur. Okay. And, yeah, so that's her eye. Okay. How many see a young woman? Young woman? Who, who doesn't see the young woman? Anyone? Not see the young woman? Okay, so the young, young lady is good. Okay. So young lady, that's her eyelash. There's her nose there. She's looking over her shoulder like that. All right. It's her jawline. I guess that's a necklace or something. All right. There's her ear. Okay. Okay. So how many see both? Okay. I'm going to ask you to do something, and you'll get my point. Okay, I want you to right now choose to see the see the old lady. If you can see the old lady, okay? Choose to see the old lady. Everyone, once you see the old lady and you focus, put your hand up. Okay? Okay, hands down. Now I want you to choose to see the young lady. I want you to do that, put your hand up. Okay. What's the point of this? You know, and, 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 and if you're new, I just have fun with stuff because I know we've learned differently. What's the point of this? It's a choice, right? It's a choice you can make in terms of how you perceive this. In the church, you have a choice. Based on experience and stuff, we may see the church as the old lady. Not real attractive, right? With all the emotion that comes with that perception. Or you can choose to see the church as the young lady. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. And in this series, what I'm hoping to do is as we understand what what God's Word teaches about the church, that it's not about an old lady or a young lady. It's about choosing to see the church as God sees it. Choosing to see the church as God sees it. And then as a result, my prayer is that you would love the church as God loves the church. Amen? So let's uh, go ahead. Shai, you can put that up. Thank you. Let's open up to 1 John. 1 John. We looked at this verse last week. Lay some more foundation about loving the church. First John, and we'll start in uh, chapter 4, 
verse 19. 1 John 4, 19. First John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Okay, so... So in our view of the church, in our view of relationships within the body of Christ, these verses right here, very clear, very explicit. If you say you love God, you're called to love your brother. So this idea that I love Jesus and not the church, this idea that I love Jesus but I don't have to love other Christians, it's not really biblical. It's not really biblical, okay? You've you, you got to check yourself, right? And, and I want to share this with you. Okay, many of us, many of you have, have, have grown up in the church for decades. And my challenge for this and my prayer is, Lord, this word church is so familiar to many of us that we can check out. Or, Lord, many of us on Sundays are connected and committed and love OVCF and we can check out. Here's my encouragement to you. Ask God to to just show you in your heart His view of the church, whether or not you've heard it 10,000 times. Okay, as kind of a check, where am I, Lord? But also, as we go through this... God may use you out in the community with other brothers and sisters in Christ who for whatever reason aren't plugged in somewhere, not here necessarily, but into a local body of church. And you may have a discussion with somebody out in the community about why they need to love the church. Okay, so, so there's, there's a couple different reasons why, why I really encourage you to stay tuned in uh, as we discuss and, and learn what God's Word says about the church, right? So, 1 John 5, 1 and 2. We love God, we've got to love His child, right? We can't separate the two. Turn to Acts 9. And we're going to see how it really is not biblical to separate the church from God, from Jesus, right? Acts 9. Starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, okay, that's the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, who was, in his mind, who was he persecuting? Christians. The church. He thought he was actually doing God's will. He thought he was fulfilling his duty, right? So he says, hey, I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to continue persecuting the church. And look what Jesus says, right? This is Jesus meeting him. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus basically telling 
Saul, hey, you're not persecuting just the church. You're, you're not persecuting just other human beings. You're persecuting me. There's a link between the church and Jesus. He's identifying. He's in union with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, hey, hey Saul, let, let me clarify here. This isn't just a human thing. This is between you and me. This is between you and me. And when I read that, I, 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 was, I was kind of taken aback because in my years of ministry experience and church attendance, there have been times when I've gotten pretty upset at the church. And there have been times when I've been pretty critical of the church. And there have been times when I've let loose about the church. And when I read that and I've been studying this, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. There, there's, there's a very big check in this understanding of the union of Jesus and His church. We have to be very careful when we speak ill of the church. You have to be very careful when you speak ill of the church. I'm not saying you don't uh, speak about things that, that may not be biblically correct or you don't bring things up that need to be addressed, but as a general sort of view of things, we need to be very careful when we go out and we throw stones and we uh, cast insults and we're just talking down and dressing down, up and down and, and backbiting and bad-talking the church because Jesus identifies with it. Jesus identifies with it and that's been a huge check. It's been a huge check in an attitude towards, oh yeah, it's just the church. It's just the church. And Jesus, it's not just the church. It's me. It's me, right? In Luke 10, 16, you don't have to turn there. He says, he who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. Jesus is identifying us with him. It's inseparable, okay? So if we're going to love, if we're going to develop the right love and the right attitude towards the church, you've got to realize you can't separate it. You can't separate the church, okay? It's one with Jesus. It's one with God. Last week we spent pretty much the whole time looking at this word picture, right? Okay, so they're inseparable. Last week we said that in Ephesians 5 that the church is called the what of Christ? The bride. The bride of Christ. And so we asked the question, how do grooms usually feel about their bride? <laughs> it's been so long you forgot. <laughs> In general, how would you hope a groom feels about his bride? Okay, love. Okay, yes, love would be important. Caring, protective, right? Faithful, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. His church, he sees, Jesus sees his church as what? His, do you think he cares about his bride? Do you think he loves his bride? Right, we saw in Ephesians, he gave himself and he nourishes and cares for it. Jesus passionately loves his bride right now. You see what I'm saying? We have to get, the, we have to get his view we have to see the church through his lens. It's his bride, right? Wes, imagine you invite Mike and Susan over for dinner, right? And Olivia prepares a meal, spends all day preparing. And Mike and Susan come over, right? And they sit around the table after the greeting. 
And they start eating, right? And Mike, certain point of dinner, turns to you, Wes, and says, Wes, chicken's kind of undercooked, huh? <laughs> and Wes, being the nice guy that he is, just says, well, you know, I like it. I like it, right? You would say that. I, I, well, I like it, right? And, and, and then later Mike says, and, you know, these potatoes are kind of runny, Wes. What's Olivia been doing all day? Right? Imagine, imagine Mike says to, to Olivia, what's Olivia been doing all day? Right? <laughs> okay. So you're starting to get upset a, a, a little bit, right? Angry, right? Because he's insulting who? My wife. Your bride. Your bride. Right? We would resonate with that, hopefully, guys. All the guys go, yeah, yeah, if that happened, I'd be there, right? Right? At the human level, right? If, if, if Mike started insulting Olivia, you would... You would be hurt? You would hurt for her, and you might get a little bit angry. And dinner might be over, Mikey, right? <laughs> right? And, right? <laughs> right? Right? So, so I share that with you because it, sometimes we forget that Jesus feels something for his bride. He does. You know, church is one of those, you know, very formal, it's an institution, and we go to church, and there's church leaders, and there's church this, and we forget the very loving passion that Jesus has for his bride. And some of us may just need to sit back, you know, the more, you know, I've been in doing church ministry for 20 plus years, and, and this study has caused me to sit back all week and go, Lord, where's, do I love the church like you love the church? Have I just, has it just become my job? Is it just ministry? Is it just doing? Is it duty? Is it service? Is it giving? Is it attendance? Or is it coming out of passion still? Is it coming out of love? Right? And I, and I, I, I love that, right? Because all of a sudden, sweet, gentle Wes starts to rear up. And something starts to stir, right? Because his bride is being attacked, right? And, and, and it, it's an emotional engagement. And I want to encourage you. Right? Sometimes in church, uh, and I know that, that you know, uh, sometimes churches can be very heady, academic, study, study, study. And then some churches can be very, woo, experiential, right? And, and, and very emotion. And sometimes we just have to remember it's okay to be in balanced. And the church is more than just an academic institution where we come to learn and serve and give. No, the church is something that you're to love, feel towards. Embrace, protect, commit to, be all in. Okay, be all in with it. It's his bride, right? And then uh, we're going to continue on. It says here, the church belongs to Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew 16 and these two main passages and then we'll be done. Matthew 16. Very familiar passage to some. So we cannot separate the church from Jesus. We cannot separate the church from loving God. The church is the bride of Christ, right? We've got we to gotta passionately love the church as Jesus does. Matthew 16, starting verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay? This is Jesus, that that famous uh, verse, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We studied this a while back. Jesus is not saying necessarily the church is built on Peter. He's, he's, the church is built on the profession of who Christ is, Peter's profession of who Jesus is, right? And, and he's saying, I will build whose church? Whose church is it? Jesus, right? In this, in the, in this verse specifically, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church, right? And it's very important. I, I shared with you last, last week, you know, Carl made me a, bu- a mug when we first moved over here three and a half years ago. It said Richie's Church. And I said, oh, whoa, please don't ever say Richie's Church. And I know what you mean by that, but this is not my church. This is Jesus' church. This is simply Jesus' church. And he's going to build it. And I want to share with you what that means to us as church leadership, Okay. Jesus says he's going to build his church. And so what we need to do as a church are to do the things that will enable that and encourage that and facilitate him building it, which is what? Worship, the word, obedience. You guys understand what I'm saying? We're not building necessarily building anything. He's going to build it as we're just faithful to him. Amen? That's what we do here. We try to keep it real simple. Just keep it real simple. Worship Him in spirit and truth. Teach the Word. Honor Him through obedience. Love Him with all your heart. And as, he, as we do that collectively, who's going to build this church? He is. Do you know when we first started, way back, we started in Cindy's home. Good to see you, Cindy. In the living room. And then we prayed. We had outgrown her living room. And we needed a place to go. And the only place that opened at that time was Saturday nights here. And you know what the general ministry consensus was when we were going to come here on Saturday nights? Saturday night service in Ohio will not work. Nobody else does one, do they? Why not? Because it, it was taken for granted that it just doesn't work. But that's what we believed God was going to do, Right? And so by faith, we stepped out and we moved here. We continued to basically do what we're doing at Cindy's, worship and teach the Word of God and love God and love one another, right? And at that point, all we could do was say, Lord, this is your church. And we just got to be faithful to you, to honor and obey you as you call us to. And then you're going to just build this to whatever that means. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have 500 people here, but he's going to build it in His timing and in His way. And for many of you, the last three years have been a wonderful time of... ah, Amen? This church was birthed out of some turmoil. This, this birth was churched out of, of, out of what we called loving refugees. A whole bunch of you were just out there and weren't connected to one of the other local bodies and God sort of gathered us. And for many of us, He says, You know, Richie, for however long it, it takes, what I'm going to do in building this local body is just give people a place where they can just settle again. And they can start to love me and they can start to love one another. So don't worry about numbers. 
Don't worry about numbers. Just love me and teach them to love me and love one another. And that's what we did for almost three years on Saturday nights. When people told us at the very beginning, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. In fact, in many times, I have friends in other cities who have planted churches, and there's very systematic ways to go about doing it. You know, there's conferences, how to plant a church, how to grow a church, what you need to do, ten steps. We basically violated all of them. Yeah, we're rebels, right? We, when we planted the church, all I could do was, Lord, this is your church. Just help me to have wisdom and guidance in, in what you want to do with it. And we didn't have some 10-page book that we were, gonna, we were following. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but I just want to share with you. That's our heart. It's Jesus' church. And week in and week out, year in and year out, all we're going to do is be faithful to him, to him and let him build it. Amen? Amen? Right? And then Jesus says something really awesome there. Look, it says, look at the verse, end of verse 18. He says, And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The Jews at that time would understand Hades is the, the, the realm of the dead. Right? And the gates are, are, would, be, would be like city hall. In cities then, the gates were where, was where authority and power and deals were made and all of that. Business was transacted. So what he's saying is, Hey, the power of death and Satan will not destroy my what? Church. Now, in context, Jesus was setting them up for his crucifixion. So he was encouraging them. Hey, you're going to see me die. You're going to see me bear, you know, die. But I'm going to raise from the dead and it's not going to stop me from building my church. Right. Take that out to us. I want to encourage you this morning. The world is a messed up place. And Christians as a whole are not very popular people in this world and in this country. And I want to encourage you. I, I just, God has put this on my heart. Nothing, 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 nothing in this world or in this country will defeat the church of God. Amen? You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of Jesus' church that he is building. And there is nothing, nothing, I don't care what happens to this country, there is nothing that will ever happen that will destroy his church. Amen? You're a part of something indestructible. Growing up, whenever they picked teams at recess, how many of you always wanted to be on the winning team? How many of us want to be on the winning team? You are. Because you're in the church. Amen? A lot of times Christians are like, oh, woe is me, I'm being persecuted, woe is me. And we, we feel like we're, we're the losers. We are the winners. Everyone say, we win. Now say it like you mean it. We win. The church is the winner. How do you know that? Well, we read the end of the book. <laughs> we cheated, right? We know how the story ends. We are the church. We are the church. It's going to get bad. It is bad. However much you delve into the news, it is bad. In the, in the Middle East, it is bad in this country for those who profess Jesus Christ and believe that that book is the Word of God. It is bad. But on the authority of Scripture right now and what Jesus says, we win. And nothing, nothing, nothing will overcome the church of God. Amen? You've got to remember that. Okay? You've got to remember that in your view of the church. We're not on the defensive we're on the offensive. We just don't necessarily go out there and do it in a way that would be in your face and all. That's not my. That's not who I am. That's not my style. 
But it doesn't mean that we don't believe 100% that we win. We win. So turn to the person next to you and say, we win. We win. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man, how was church today? You're gonna, someone, someone will be asking, hey, how was church today? We win! <laughs> it's just like freak them out. I'm, a, I'm on the winning team. What do you mean you're on the winning team? Well, Jesus said the gates of Hades, the gate, power of Satan and death, they're not going to overcome the church. I'm part of the church. I'm on the winning side. You see that? All of a sudden, oh, I like this church thing. I like, uh, church feels good all of a sudden. I like being a part of this church, right? The big church. Because we win. We're on the winning side, right? And then we'll close with, turn to First Peter 2. So he's building his church. And guess who he uses to do that? That would be you, okay? After the book of James, Hebrews, James, First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, okay, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, okay, speaking to the church, believers, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful Light. Verse 9 is referring to who? Who's the chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God? Who is that? Do this and do this. <laughs> it's you. Did you know that? Some of you didn't remember. Some of you forgot that before when you walked in here, right? I'm a what? I'm a what? Right? Verse, uh, verse 5 and 6 says, us, you're a living stone. So God, in building his church, right, he calls it a spiritual house built by the power of the Holy Spirit. He uses you, he uses me as living stones. Living stones. It's not haphazard. It's not by random. Everybody in the body of Christ has a purpose to play. And he's going to use you. I was at one of my daughter's friend's house. We were building a house, and they were putting stone up. And there was this big pile of stone, and there was a guy sitting on a, on a little bench. And she goes, you know what he's doing? He spends all day, and he chisels the stone. And, and so he gets the stone that will fit to the next place. And this big old, big old pile, and all he does all day is chisel each stone so it fits in the wall. That's what God's doing with us. That's why everybody in this local body is necessary. You're necessary. It's not about me. It's not about the worship team. Everybody here, God calls, you're a living stone. And he's building a spiritual house to fulfill his purpose in the world, in this valley, and even here. Everybody here is part of it. It's part of it. 
That's why when people, for whatever reason, stop coming or, you know, things happen, to me, it's like there's a hole missing in the wall. You've, you've seen in Ojai, right? They build those rock walls and all that kind of thing. It's like a stone gets pulled out. And you're like, what happened to so-and-so? They had an important part here. And now that stone's missing. You all are living stones. We're in this together. You're, you, God's given you gifts. He's given you talents. And it's not just, you know, Sunday with, or Wednesday thing. It's everybody here is being used by God. And He's chiseling you. And He's working on you individually. And He says, ah, Sue, Wednesdays in the office. <laughs> right? Sue, deposits. Right? Or whatever it's going to be. You have gifts and you have talents and God's calling you. If it's not this local body, find a local body in this valley and say, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're building. I want to be a part of your winning team. Here I am. Use me as a living stone. Amen? And here's the great thing. As you do that, He transforms you. As you give, He keeps growing you. And then He uses you to transform people's lives. Shai, you can bring the screen down. Before communion, I want to show you a clip. And generally, we watch this clip because it's about what God can do in non-believers' lives. But I wanted to show this clip again because I see this clip as all of you and me. I see God taking some people in this clip, transforming them, making them new creations, but it doesn't end there. Now what they're called to do in this clip is become part of His work, His church, Living Stones. So watch this clip, and as you do, I pray that God will remind you of the work He's doing in your life and has done, and He will spur you on to be a part of His church. Amen? Go ahead, let's turn off the lights and we'll watch. Jesus says He's going to build His church. And I look out here and I see a whole lot of people that He's been making beautiful. Not perfect, but in process. He says, hey, just love me. Love one another. We're all in the process of being made beautiful. And then I'm going to use you to go reach this valley and help others become beautiful too. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for reminding us that you're building your church. Your church is made up of imperfect human beings that are in process of being made beautiful through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we prepare for communion, Jesus, we're reminded of You and Your love for us. Ephesians says that You love Your bride sacrificially and You gave Yourself for her, for us. So Jesus, this morning, we reaffirm our faith and our love for You. Salvation alone through You and by faith. And Jesus, we open our hearts once again to loving the church as you love the church. Your bride. The building that you're creating with us as living stones. So we take this time of communion as we hold the cups. Just a time of reflection, a time of thanksgiving. A time to remember that we're a part of your church. So we're going to have the guys distribute the elements and play the music and then we'll take the elements together.